This is the Good Neighbor Podcast, the place where local businesses and neighbors come together. Here's your host, Stacy Poehler. Hey, everybody. I am excited to be chatting with Dr. Burke Robinson from Robinson Facial Plastic Surgery. Welcome, Dr. Robinson. Good morning, Stacy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to learn more about you and your business. Why don't you start by telling us about um, your plastic surgery practice? Yes, it's um, it's a pra- practice that is dedicated only to facial plastic and reconstructive surgery of the face and neck. Uh, it's been in existence since 2001, so we're celebrating our 22nd year, going into our 23rd year of having the business. Prior to that, I had been in a group practice for six years here in Atlanta. And prior to that, I had my own business for three years in Minnesota before I finally said, it's too cold. (laughs) I get that. I get that. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about your journey and kind of, I mean, did you always know you wanted to be a surgeon? And, you know, how did you make that decision? And what kind of um, schooling and training have you had um, to get to this point? So, um, when I was in college, I was in the pre-med track. I knew that I wanted to become a physician, didn't know what area of medicine. And while I was in college, I worked in the emergency room at a trauma center. And my responsibility as a technician was to run the suture room, as it was called. All the lacerations would go to those rooms and I would set up and first assist the emergency room physicians. But what was most intriguing was when they had to call in a plastic surgeon to close a laceration that was just too complicated for the emergency room doctor, or it was on a part of the face where they just wanted to give the patient the optimal result. And to me, it was like looking at Humpty Dumpty and going, how are they going to put this one together? And yet they'd come in like, you know, Inspector Gadget and voila, they do a beautiful job. And that really motivated me and intrigued me. And then In med school, I enjoyed the anatomy of the head and the neck the most. I liked using my hands. um, And I also enjoyed um, talking to people, enjoying um, having interrelationships with um, patients, as opposed to, say, radiology, where you never see a patient. So all that drove me into doing a head and neck residency. So I did my four years of college and four years of med school and five years of head and neck surgery. And then I did a one-year fellowship in facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. And that's kind of what took me to be able to do what I do now. Awesome. Awesome. I know that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions out there about plastic surgery. We've all seen, you know, the what could go wrong type scenarios. Um, Can you just talk about maybe some of those myths and how, you know, it's not really true in your practice and how you guys strive to um, work and help people get the goals that, you know, they, they want to get. That's a great question. I'm gra- I'm so glad you raised that. Um, it's become even more obvious in the last year in social media. Uh, you take as an example, injectables, fillers. Um, it's, it's like uh, eating, you know, you can only eat so much cheesecake and then it starts to hurt you. <laughs> and fillers are something where there's a limit of what should be done before you're overdoing it. And too many um, Hollywood people, entertainers, I don't know what drives them to become overfilled, but they become overfilled. And now they're all saying, well, we're dissolving all of it. I think both extremes are wrong. 
I think am in an, our office, myself and my injectors who also inject alongside with me, we always strive to look for a natural result, not an overdone look. The overdone look commonly you'll see in Miami, Orange County, California, some of these places where the appreciation of beauty is an extreme. And the patients that I see here in Atlanta aren't like that. They want to look natural. They want to look semi understated, not overstated. And I still think that that's a good look. And using fillers or surgery is another example done correctly within the realm of what it can and can't do gives a natural result where the best compliment we always get is patients come back and say their friends and family members can see they look better, but they can't put their finger on it. Mm -hmm. How do you work with your patients? I'm guessing, you know, people probably start coming in and they're you know, thirties and, and doing the injectables. And then, you know, they're, you've been doing this for 23 years. Now you've seen them through a period of time and now they're probably getting to the point where maybe they need some type of surgical intervention. And how do you kind of work with them out on that process and help them start to kind of wrap up their brain around what the next steps are? I mean, um, you know, aging is very difficult for women psychologically and mentally, and, and you're with them, you know, on that journey. And, and um, I'm just wondering, you talked about relationships, you know, and how you're, um, you know, helping them make the right decisions and, um, you know, and, and, and keeping them sane a lot along the way. <laughs> That's a good question, too. Um, well, having been in practice this long, I've had a lot of patients that started with me in their 20s and 30s. And we've nurtured a relationship throughout those decades. And so we can reach a point where sometimes injectables are not giving them the optimal result. It's giving them a result, but they need more than that. And so it's a natural progression for me to just bring that up to them and say, you know, I think at this point now we're transitioning into a surgical result, not an injectable in the office result. And they seem to be very open to that. They handle it really well, realizing they've worked with me for so long. I'm going to give them the right guidance when it's the right time. And also, uh, it's pretty common people come in thinking surgery is what they need when really they don't. And then when you point out to them, surgery is not going to achieve the results you're looking for, but an injectable will, they instantly have confidence in you. You didn't just take advantage of them <clears throat> because obviously surgery costs more pays more than doing injectables. But when they get the result that they really wanted with the injectable side, then they trust you know that when it becomes time that it's not going to get the result they want, they accept the, the recommendation fairly easily about just going into surgery uh, to continue to maintain the look that they have. Mm -hmm. Now, there are patients that come in um, who are older and I haven't had a relationship with them before. And they want to achieve a certain result. And I have to tell them right then and there, filler is not going to work because sometimes they hope that's all it will. And telling them that it's surgery, I think also goes equally well um, because we have pictures of patients to show examples of what they want to achieve and show them that this is what a surgery could do and how filler cannot do that. And um they, they accept that as well. They're, they're pretty open and understanding. I don't think we get a lot of people with unrealistic expectations. The few that we do are the ones we try to avoid, um, of course, doing surgery on because that would just be even worse for them. 
Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about sort of, you know, the age range of the patients that you've seen, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, one thing for sure is 22 years ago when I started off my own practice, um, you didn't see a lot of patients in their 20s and early 30s. And that's because Botox wasn't even out yet. Okay. We had one filler. That's it. And we have evolved over 22 years now where if you look at the Restylane family, we have seven different types of Restylane. We have Botox and Dysport, and they've all been shown to be very safe and predictable. <clears throat> so compared to 22 years ago, now we have patients that are in their 20s coming in for treatment. Some of them are the um, children, the daughters or sons of my patients who are 20 to 30 years older, and they've seen what they have done to help maintain their look. And the other population uh, where their parents have never seen me before, they come in because they are well aware now that um, there's a term that's used in our industry called prejuvenation. And we have things that aren't high cost that help prevent aging and help maintain your look. It's good skincare using broadband light, um, it's exfoliating with hydrofacials, <clears throat> little things that have no downtime. And then, of course, the wrinkle relaxers, the Dysport and Botox. I always tell the patients in their 20s that your skin's like a piece of cardboard. The more you fold it, the deeper the crease gets. But if you don't <laughs> fold it, you don't get a crease. And that's essentially what you're doing to avo avoid those frown lines. So if you start now and you maintain it, then you're probably never going to see those lines etched there all the time. So our range starts in the probably mid, actually starts in the teens for rhinoplasties. And then for pretty much everything else, it starts in the early to mid 20s and it extends up into the 70s, even 80s. We have patients in their 80s. That's awesome. I'm sure there's been some challenges along the way of kind of, you know, having your own practice and, um, you know, and, and, and maybe even just staying abreast of the new technologies and, um, you know, new procedures that are out there. Um, how do you kind of stay ahead of the curve and meet I, those I, challenges? That's a good question too, Stacey. I think it's very important to go annually to your um, national meetings <clears throat> because I lecture at them. I just came back from being in San Diego and gave three lectures but I learn probably more than I teach because you hear what everyone else is doing and what's new and current. And the way you find that out, it's quicker to go to the meeting than it is to wait for it to be published. And you get a chance to talk to the people who are doing something new and current that you want to uh, adopt into your practice. So it's always been very important that I would go at least to two meetings a year, which I usually have done. And that helps me stay current as well as what comes in through the literature. And um, talking to your peers, we have a huge network of um, docs who train in the same program that I did. And we always are sharing ideas over emails on a big group email. And throughout all that, I think we've been able to stay really abreast. And I think it's always been important never to be on the engine of something, nor be on the caboose. Because <laughs> some things sound great and they fail and you don't want to disappoint patients. So I'm, I'm more than happy that other people experiment on their patients first and get some mm -hmm. results out and then go, okay, that makes sense. And we'll try it. Is there anything coming down the pike that you're sort of super excited about and 
Not that I can think of at the moment. Oh, I, I can say one thing. I was um, very honored to be a part of a national study on non-narcotic pain medicine. And so there is a medicine that's in a phase three clinical trial, and it is non-narcotic that's having great results. So it's not addictive to be used for post-operative pain management. And so I was uh, asked to do uh, quite a few rhinoplasties uh, in part of that study so they could see how the pain relief was for that type of procedure. And they're doing um, studies on bunionectomies, hernias, they're using it in all areas of surgery to see how it manages post-op pain. Uh, and that, I would say, is very exciting, not just for my specialty, but for medicine as a whole and for humanity as a whole to see if that actually works. And so yeah. I think that's very exciting. Yeah, that would definitely help a lot of people and stop a lot of the problems that we've seen, you know, from narcotics abuse. So Exactly. Yeah, thank you for thank you for being a part of something like that. So. You bet. So, where can folks find you? Want to share with us um, kind of where you're located, website, that good stuff? Yeah. So we're on Old Milton near Highway 400 and 400, where they intersect up on the hill where the North Side has two medical towers. Um, online, you can find us at www.robinsonfps, like facialplasticsurgery.com. And our Instagram handle is RobinsonFPS. Uh, and those are probably the three easiest areas to find us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Robinson. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Stacey. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Good Neighbor Podcast, Milton and More. To nominate your favorite local businesses to be featured on the show, Go to GNPMilton.com. That's GNPMilton.com. Or call 470-664-4930.